so included in a mental health sort of perspective on low sleep is when we're not feeling well and our brain isn't working the same way our relationships suffer. We see the world through a more negative filter and we see other people and we interpret what they say and we even interpret their facial expressions differently. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 364. Today, we're talking about Generation Sleepless with Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you are here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And if you get anything from this podcast, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps us grow more. It just takes 30 seconds and it makes such a big difference. I would greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a minute, I'm going to be sitting down with Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright, who are psychotherapists and the authors of The Happy Sleeper and Now Say This. And their new book, which we're going to talk about, is called Generation Sleepless. Why tweens and teens are not sleeping enough and how we can help them. And this is for you, obviously, if you're the parent of a teen or tween, but also if you are the parent of a younger child, because you're going to hear also about how to help younger kids, little ones sleep better, and also you're going to learn how to set up healthy habits for when they are older. Right now, teens are the most sleep deprived of any part of the population. Only 10% of teens are getting healthy sleep on a regular basis. And this lack of sleep is lending to the mental health crisis in tweens and teens. And so we're gonna talk about how we can help kids get better sleep. Of course, how to get kids of all ages to get better sleep, how to set limits. And we're gonna talk about limits and how we parents let go of limits way too early. This is a very powerful, very important episode that you're gonna to wanna to listen to, you're gonna to wanna to share with your friends because this is such an important issue. And now join me at the table as I talk to Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. Glad to have you. And I'm so excited to talk about your book, Generation Sleepless, because I this I feel like um, we're learning so much about how incredibly important is sleep is for adults, right? Like we're learning it is like linked to like Alzheimer's and all kinds of things as far as, you know, adults and how vital it is. And we are often, I think, like really on it maybe when our kids are little, but they're like, especially as a mom of a 12 year old and 15 year old, that Thing, the world is not set up for them to to sleep well at all. So maybe you can like kind of give us a, a lowdown of what the problem is and, and what's going on for tweens and teens is what now for sleep. Sure. Well, you you really you highlighted it right there because the world is not set up for tweens and teens to sleep. And you're right. 
generally speaking, little kids sleep pretty well. About 70% of, of young children have a healthy amount of sleep on a regular basis and about 60% of adults, but only about 10% of teenagers get healthy sleep on a regular <laughs> basis. So their sleep just takes an absolute nosedive starting in middle school. The, the data is just so wild. Um, and so whereas they need about nine hours of sleep, that's about a, what an average teenager would like to get on a regular basis, the average high schooler gets about six or six and a half hours. So they're missing around two or two and a half hours of sleep every night of the school week. Most high schoolers by the end of high school, that's about 10 hours of sleep debt by, by Friday, you know, and then they try desperately to make up for it on the weekend. So it's, it really, it, it, the, the data is extremely clear that it's just a, just a drop, like just a drop off a cliff in the amount that they sleep related to how much they need. And we can talk more about this, but it has a lot to do with people not really understanding and appreciating how much sleep they need. Because like you said, we all appreciate it when they're young, but that, that really changes and that's part of the problem. Okay. So why, why all of a sudden are they getting so much less sleep? What, what are the factors that are playing into that? And that's just shocking. Like 10%. I mean, that blows my mind, but I mean, yeah. okay. But what are the factors? What's leading to this? Yeah. So yeah, it is shocking. It is a crisis. Um, so we describe what we call a perfect storm of factors that contribute to this sleep loss. So if you imagine factors that are pushing bedtime later include a natural shift in their biological clock, which means they get sleepy later, their melatonin rises later, and they just aren't ready for bed as early as they were, as, as much as two hours later. So you have that. The next thing is academic overload, ridiculous amounts of homework that just seem to be increasing more and more over the years. And piled on with that are stacked activities that are often in pursuit of showing up well on their college applications. So you have the academic overload. And then you have, of course, technology, the, you know, the emergence of the smartphone correlates with, with the drop in teen sleep. And we all know how how much that is contributing to later and later bedtimes because teenagers are taking longer to do their homework. They're, you know, staying on their devices long after they should have gone to bed. It's very hard to put them down. They're very antithetical to sleep. We can talk a lot more about why technology is a huge factor. So all of those things crunch and shrink their sleep in the evening. And then we have in this country, way too early high school start times in most cases. Mm -hmm. And, and that shrinks their sleep on the morning side. So what you end up with is just a mathematically impossible amount of time left for them to even get close to that nine and a quarter hours that Heather mentioned. We'd be thrilled if teenagers could get eight hours and they're not even close to that. So it's, it's this perfect storm of factors that's squeezing their sleep from both ends. I can see that. I mean, my daughter, who is 15, who is a freshman in high school this year, she uh, she has to get up. She's incredibly efficient at getting ready, but she has to get up at like 6.15 to get the bus at 6.45 because school day is starting at like 7 something. I mean, it's 
bananas. It's nuts. And she, mm-hmm. she does pretty well at going to bed at night, but it it's, drives me crazy. So how is this, how, what is this doing to our teens? Like I can imagine, I mean, if I get, I'm not getting enough sleep. I am crabby. I'm miserable. I'm, you know, I, aren't adults are kind of like, we're like a little drunk, right? Like it's almost as if we've, if we've had a glass <laughs> of wine, right? If we haven't had enough sleep, it, it's, it's, it's miserable. Like watch out my children. Like I don't want, they don't want to be yeah. happy and I'm tired. I'm like crying and then I'm grumpy. Yeah. What's happening to the kids? Like, how is it affecting them? I think the number one piece that people that resonates with people is, is the fact that there's a mental health crisis right now among teenagers. So the most recent statistics tell us that about one in three high schoolers will report a persistent feeling of sadness or hopelessness. And one in five have made a seriously contemplated hurting themselves. And that's shocking. That's an, I mean, and it's, it's a, it's a significant increase from 10 years ago. And if you map out the, the climbing rates of mental health issues and the declining amounts of sleep, they perfectly match each other. And we know what happens in the brain. I mean, there's just a multitude of studies that show us that when we don't sleep well, including teenagers, the parts of the brain that are soothing, the frontal cortex, the the part of our brain that helps us make sense of the world and feel creative and solve problems and have good judgment and regulate our emotions is dulled. And the part of our brain that gives us our reactive emotional responses, our amygdala, is amplified by up to 60%. So Mm. you have real changes that are happening in the brain that cause us to see the world through a more negative lens. It's not surprising that, that teens are not, you know, feeling hopeful and energetic about the future and that they're feeling overwhelmed. You also, the, the, the brain has this really amazing system for flushing out the waste that accumulates during the day. So your brain is a very highly active organ. Obviously it's doing a lot. It's extremely active and it's producing waste during the day, right? So byproducts of, um, of all that activity. And then it has a really neat pl- like plumbing system for basically washing that waste out, but it does not turn on until we fall asleep. So if you don't sleep enough, you basically start the day, like you were mentioning, feeling a little like you'd been drinking. You have, the, you have that fogginess, that clutter in your brain is actually a chemical mm-hmm you know, that's a, that is a chemical process. So that's another, I think that when I think about that and how I feel when I don't sleep well, the fact that my brain hasn't quite cleaned itself properly makes a lot of sense to me. This is all so fascinating because like the timeliness of this is amazing because last night we had a a little showdown in the home, (laughs) Clarkfield's home because my 12 year old, (laughs) I, held the boundary of our nine o'clock iPad time backing off of it. And it was a big mess, but I'm seeing her start to push things later and later and later as far as like making her lunch later, taking a shower at like 10 o'clock at night and you know, all this. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried about this like slippery slope of lack of sleep, right? Like I could see this is 
so important for all those reasons that you just listed. And now I'm going to need her to listen to this episode <laughs> so that she can understand exactly why it's so important. But yeah, um, but yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's crazy. And for any of us who's like, who, if you're worried about having a good relationship with your teen, dear listener, or if you are, you know, worried about your teens, like crazy behavior or their mental health, like this is a big factor that we can start to affect in one way or another. I imagine. I mean, we, we can't, I don't know. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, the two early start times are a big, tough issue that like takes a lot of collective action. Um, but we can do some individual things in our home, right? Too. So, what 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 do our teens need us to do? Because they're going to push back on this, I know. But I don't know. T- talk to me about this, please. <laughs> well, I, I love that you have the nine o'clock, you know, cut off time for for iPad. I think that's a great starting point. And and I agree completely about relationships. Our relationships suffer also. So included in a mental health sort of perspective on low sleep is when we're not feeling well and our brain isn't working the same way, our relationships suffer. We see the world through a more negative filter and we see other people and we interpret what they say and we even interpret their facial expressions differently. So our teens and and us as parents, our relationships suffer And then on the other side of the coin, we find, and it's very understandable, that parents are afraid that the relationship is going to suffer if they hold limits around it. Yeah. Yes. Right? (laughs) So we're, you know, we're therapists and we're here to say, you know, if you hold a limit with empathy and kindness and consistency, your teenager will still like you. They'll probably even still love you. And, um, you know, you know this, you don't need us to tell you how well kids do when limits are held with kindness and how they they feel reassured and the predictability and the consistency of it helps them. My brother-in-law was um, reading our new book and he wrote to me yesterday and he said, I do not envy parents of today who are having to raise their children in the in this age of technology. And I said, you're absolutely right. So the question is, what do we do about it? How do we hold limits in a way that's age appropriate and that's also appropriate to what we now think of as unreasonable, not unreasonable, but what we now think of as irresponsible tech design. We have technology Mm. companies in our country that have absolutely no regulation Europe is, has just enacted something called the Digital Services Act, which is um, one of the facets of it is designed to, to require accountability. Just like the FDA in our country regulates our food and our drugs, we need to have technology regulated. And right now it's like the Wild West out there. And we are the victims of companies that could care less about our kids' sleep or their mental health or anything. They just want to make money. So helping kids to understand that, to, to sort of feel like they have a little bit of an inside scoop on what's going on and, you know, let's maybe not be part of their grand experiment and let's not let them control us. I mean, sometimes they really like learning about that kind of thing. I find my kids are like, they, they 
just like all of us think they're going to be smarter than the, than the technology, like this stuff that's optimized for just as much attention, right? The attention for dollars economy, right? And it's optimized for you to just hold, have as much attention as possible. And they think, like my kids think they're kind of too smart for that. And I'm like, I'm not mm. too smart for that. <laughs> I'm like susceptible to this. Like you're 12, your brain isn't fully, you know, I, that's my frustration with my, my kids there <laughs> with that one. Mm. <laughs> well, if they have a hard time putting it down and if they, yeah. if they can't stop thinking about it and if they get cranky, you know, then those are signs that they're, they're becoming addicted to it, you know? So I guess that's part of the education piece, but it's, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. What, what Heather and I will always say is, especially like a great example is having a 12 year old is we find that parents let go way too quickly. They just, they just let go of, of, of limits and structure around technology way too early. And, um, so with a 12 year old, you know, the more you sort of instigate, um, family habits around what we call wind down time, bedtime routines, family time, connection time, all of those things where it just becomes, I mean, Heather can describe what she does because she has a, um, she has similarly aged kids and she's, she's got them so used to the routine that I don't think they really think too much about, about bucking it. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's we've true got around... in the family, like we try to Oh, sorry. We try to like plug oh, things no, in downstairs, but what, what else can we do? You know, what are the things you do? Tell me about what you do, Heather. <laughs> well, I think I have, I, I can't say that technology isn't coming for my family too. I mean, we have the same, similar to what you're describing. It's, it's not, we are not immune to that. And especially after the pandemic, during the pandemic and still, yeah. did I say after the pandemic? Cause I think we're still in it, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> since, since COVID, I, I honestly, technology invaded our life in a way that I was just now looking back. It was so clear that we had really, we had very good boundaries around technology before the pandemic. So we, my kids are similar ages to yours. We didn't, have any screen time during the week at all. And it just was an, a, you know, a, an accepted thing. And then all of a sudden it just, the wheels came off the, you know, like I hadn't, I felt like I had no control anymore and it just really took over our lives. So now it seems like I'm trying, we're all trying to figure out how to peel it back a little bit and to, to put some healthy boundaries around technology. So I think, um, I'm, I'm very empathic to the struggle because I am experiencing it every day myself. But some of the things that we do around sleep, it, it, it means that we have my kids, let's say their um, bedtime is 930. Around eight o'clock is when everybody's devices go off. So any individual devices, somebody's working on a computer or playing a video game, um, everything goes off. All the personal devices go off at eight o'clock, but that's because my kids don't have homework really. So that, you know, that that's a tricky part, but for us that works. And then from eight, um, forward is like our wind down time. So we'll watch a movie. I try to make it so that it's not just, we're getting rid of things. We're not just getting rid of technology. We're actually drawing people into the wind down time with things they like to do. So everyone's excited to watch Saturday night live right now. We're like really into SNL. So 
we are excited there's a new episode and Dr. Strange is on, you know, so it's, it's not just, this is not just what we're not doing. It's what, what they're actually drawn to do. So watching a TV show in the living room is perfectly fine for sleep. That does not suppress your melatonin to watch TV from a distance. So, um, and also Mm. watching a television show or a, a movie as a family is actually a great way to lure everybody to the couch, you know, to start winding down. I also go around starting around, I kind of mimic what's going on outside with the sun. So if the sun is going down, I'm starting to think about the home lights going down too. And by total Mm -hmm. darkness, I've basically turned off all the lights in the house. Your eyes adjust very well. So I will, you know, I'm turning systematically turning off almost all the lights except for a couple of lamps. So by the time the, the sun is really down, you're that is a really big way that our artificial light in our homes, just unknowingly, it's it's suppressing our melatonin. It's keeping us activated without us even realizing. We should really be mimicking what's going on outside in the natural cycle of, of light and dark. And that's true of the morning too. And we can talk about the importance of morning sun because that's a really big one. But so that's what we do around wind down time. Yeah, and it morning really makes sun. a difference. I love those. I love those tips. And I, I really want my kids to listen to this. Uh, morning sun. <laughs> morning sun really helps us wake up, right? Like if we can get outside, I hear during the, during like the first, you know, get outside for 20 minutes or something in the morning, like it helps you to sleep better at night, right? Does that help your sleep later? It really does. Exactly. That's, that's great that you know that. Yeah. The morning sunlight within about ideally as soon as possible after you wake up, it could be within the first hour or so. And you don't even need 20 minutes. It depends on how bright the sun is that day, but somewhere between two to 10 minutes of, of real Mm. sunlight not mm. just through the window. What it does is it pushes go on your internal clock. It sends signals to your brain that it's time to be awake. Your melatonin goes down, your cortisol goes up, and this is alerting. This helps you focus and feel awake. And like you're saying, what it does, it also pushes go, which means that you're starting at that moment to accumulate sleep pressure which for adults goes pretty much usually the whole day. Most of us don't nap. So by the time bedtime comes around, we're ready to go to sleep. Whereas if we don't get that early morning sunlight, it might be harder to go to sleep because the pressure hasn't built as high throughout the day. So this is a common thing we do with teenagers who will say, well, I try to go to bed early, but I can't fall asleep. But they're they're either sleeping in too late or they're not getting any sun in the morning. They're not getting any light. So mm-hmm. they're not, the pressure doesn't build. And by the time that reasonable bedtime comes around, they're, they're really not tired yet. But if they get that early morning light, we have all kinds of ideas in the book about, well, teenagers not going to school in the dark is a good place to start, but also about walking to school or having some early activities at school outside, of course, depending on the weather. But even if it's cold, they could have an early, you know, run around the field or something just to get that sunlight first thing in the morning. It's interesting because like, all of these things sound like, you know, and for the listener, dear listener, if you have little kids, like these are all like habits and patterns and, and, you know, and that you can start to facilitate when they're young. Like if you're protecting their sleep when they're young, if you're doing these things when you're young, if you start to create these habits patterns when they're young, you can, you know, start to protect that 
you know, stop that drop off of sleep at, in middle school. But at the same time, it's interesting because I recognize now that my 12 year old just has this circadian rhythm to stay up later. And she mm-hmm. wants to, I would really like her to just like get her exercise during the day. And she wants to like do all these like active things that she kind of needs to do, like, like make her lunch, take a shower. That's when she suddenly has decided that she wants to like clean, tidy her room. And I'm like, (laughs) well, (laughs) honey, this is, this is not helping you go to sleep later. But she says, you know, whatever that sleep is fine. So, but, but these are obviously things that we can start and protect you know, start these habits when they're young, right? If we are modeling this, then it's just the norm in your house. That's, that's the ideal, I imagine. That is, yeah. I think that's really the way to do it is that if you have an elementary schooler, um, and I, I talk to a lot of parents of, you know, fourth and fifth graders who are starting to consider having phones. Um, they're, the kids are messaging each other a lot. They're already starting to feel that, that pressure to be socially connected after dark. (laughs) And, um, so I just, that's kind of a tipping point, I think is the end of elementary school Mm. where where you start to feel like, Ooh, wait a minute, everybody else is kind of thinking about, I mean, I think that the, the, the saturation of the smartphone is getting earlier, is getting younger and younger. So, um, I forget what the percentage is of eight-year-olds who own a smartphone. I mean, it's it's surprisingly high. It's like 20% or something like that. So um, I think that's true that we want to consider holding on to those things. And then when kids go to middle school is when I think a lot of parents feel like, well, that's their turning point in independence. And now I should let them, you know, kind of be in charge of these things. And it's it just feels like I, I've seen it myself and I've experienced it is like a little bit like, oh, wait a minute. I I don't know what happened to all our good sleep routines and expectations. They kind of just went away. But I think kids still need connection with us. And they maybe, maybe part of it is that we start to interpret their um, behavior as like, well, their, their friends are more important, you know, and I still mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. that the family rituals are, it's a really good opportunity to preserve family rituals. So, you know, maybe just putting a little yeah, more I mean, weight on. Yeah. Yeah. Like my family is that- so important too. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying, what, what's kind of underlying what you're saying is like, yeah, friends are important and that's true. That become, they become more important at that time, but that doesn't mean you're going to say, okay, I'm letting the friends run the show. Like you still want to have a right. close relationship with your teen and tween yeah. so that you can have that influence that is so, so important because there's some really mm-hmm. serious and big, you know, bigger child, bigger issues. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I would say also that, you know, taking a shower and making her lunch, that kind of falls into what we would consider bedtime routine activities because okay. she's not on technology. It's not highly stressful. It's, it's It could be absolutely part of her routine. I think the key is to, you know, getting to a point where she finishes her routine at about the same time every night and that, you know, that after that she's re- relegated to, you know, reading a book in bed or, you know, really getting into bed at a certain time. Um, and you know, those biological, I was just going to say those, those constitute a wind down routine. 
It doesn't seem like a routine, but oh, it is. Okay. It's wind down time. As long as the house lights are pretty low, if she's taking a shower and like Julie said, and doing those things, it, that's part of wind down. Definitely. And then bedtime routine is maybe more like reading and those activities. Okay. Thank you. You guys yeah. are reassuring me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if she has to get up so early, she has to get up at 6.15. She's 12 years old. I mean, we'd like her to be in bed by, I mean, if she went to bed at 10.15, that would only be eight hours. So we'd really like her to be in bed at about 9.30, go to sleep at about 9.30. Mm -hmm. um, and what happens is even though her biological clock may really want to stay up a little bit later, having the regularity of going to bed and waking up at about the same time every day will train her internal clock for those times. It, it is mutable. We can change it. Okay, cool. So you guys mentioned like five different things. We have two early start times, tech, stacked activities, academic overload, and the shift in the biological clock. What about the stacked activities? This is probably another place we can have some impact. Um, it, we want our kids to, a lot of parents feel a lot of pressure to do a lot of things. And we know that teens you know, it's good for them to have some structure. Like their brains are a little chaotic. They, you know, I think act activities are good to some extent. Like my girls do scouts and it's so good for them to like see their friends every week and have the structure and do the campouts and all these different things. But there's a tipping point, right? Where it becomes too much. Yeah. I think that's exactly the way to think about it is what is that tipping point? Because I agree. And I think especially with technology, I feel like the more my kids have to do after school, kind of the better up to a certain point, because anything yeah. they're doing, <laughs> you know, going to cross country practice, my, my daughters and Girl Scouts too, um, swim, all that stuff. There's no technology, right? And they are getting the face-to-face -face interaction, which is so important. And they're out there with, um, you know, there's just so many reasons we could go on and on about why extracurriculars are so important and so healthy being part of a team and all that. So I think it is really about finding the tipping point where it becomes so much so that they're, um, they're not able to really take care of their basic needs, you know, and I think actually sports coaches have a lot of responsibility for that too. And we like to talk directly to sports coaches because, um, they schedule unreasonable times and they there's just kind of a calculation that athletic coaches can do taking sleep into consideration because sleep has so much to do with athletic performance sleep you know talk to professional athletes they all know the importance of sleep and many of them have sleep coaches like hire people to because sleep is so important to athletic performance it reduces the risk of injury all of that stuff. So we, we, in many ways, we don't like to put the, the responsibility on parents and teens solely to solve this problem. We actually need the coaches to understand the importance of sleep and to take that into consideration when they schedule, you know, a 545 swim meet in the morning. Um, you know, so, so it has to be a team effort. <laughs> But I think finding that tipping yeah. point is exactly what's what that should be the conversation at home is like, where are we? How do we um, how do we make decisions not feeling too much pressure to do this? And what do we really like to do? What are we what's, you know, quality over quantity, maybe? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, we, we meet teenagers who have crossed that tipping point because they're so worried about their college applications that they're they're doing way too many things and it's not necessarily because they really want to or are really enjoying it, but they're just really driven, you know, and we, you know, in a perfect world, we'd like to also sit down and talk to college admissions and say, you know, it's, this has gone too far, the expectations and the competition to show up well on your college applications. It's just out of control. We've, we've talked to, um, radio shows in different countries while we've been talking about Generation Sleepless. And some countries, I think, Heather, is it Canada, New Zealand? Um, they just take a test. They just have an aptitude test. They don't show, they don't have to put these applications in where they show all the things that they do. It's, it's just a, you know, we could talk about tests too, not being the greatest thing to have to go through and be judged by, but at least they don't have all that pressure about the complicated nature of co college applications and how that contributes right. to, to the sleep problems. Because by the time they get home from all those activities and are finished with all those activities, they still have often three, four, five hours of homework to do. Boy. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, you'd almost want college ad admissions people to look at that and say, oh, this is an unbalanced person if there are way too many activities. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, okay. So for the parents of who are like listening to this in preparation for you having teens and tweens in the future, you have little ones, maybe you have uh, two-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, what can they do to set up like some healthier habits, be, you know, right now that they can start to lead into a healthier habits when they're old, their kids are older? Probably technology and wind down time are the, the good things to start talking about. So we, you know, wind down time is important for everybody. It's even important for little kids as we know, because kids can really like ramp up before, before bed. We work with a lot of families with young children. And a lot of them will say, my my two-year-old, my five-year-old just isn't tired. They're like going wild before bed. And that's, you know, so that's partly because of how the circadian system works, that we have a, a second wind before we fall asleep. But it's also an opportunity to really think about wind down time. And like we were describing with the, the lights, dimming the lights, having a family ritual, something where you come together during wind down time. So wind down time is one to two hours before bedtime. And so putting a wind down time in place and talking about it as wind down time. So like my kids will say like, can we do X, Y, Z? And I'm like, oh no, it's wind down time. You know, you can just use that mm -hmm. language so that everybody just, you know, knows it. I also think it's really healthy to have the morning, um, morning sun be part of everybody's, you know, morning routine. So try to just come up with a nice way to start the day that isn't on technology that maybe is like has something to do with walking the dog or being outside or just eating breakfast outside so that that becomes part of the the expectation just part of the family rituals and mm, i mean technology I is probably <laughs> the biggest one not not letting technology creep into your wind down time all right. So just to remind everyone, this is so vital for our kids' health, so vital for our relationships, so vital for their happiness, their mental health. If you want kids who can regulate their emotions, all that, like this is sleep is incredibly important, right? Like what are the benefits that we are, are talking about here, Julie and Heather? 
Yeah, you just listed a bunch of them. So <laughs> obviously, you know, we always like to talk about mental health first. So improved mood, improved sense of positivity, improved relationships, um, better decision making, less dangerous risk taking, fewer car crashes, less substance abuse, stronger immune system body has a better ability to regulate weight when we get enough sleep. There's a whole science about that. Um, and, you know, there are lots of things that um, around learning and memory too, that improve greatly, focus improves greatly. There are lots of long-term health benefits from sleeping well, which, you know, children don't care that much about, but I think as a parent, it's important to know that um, the science is coming in really hard and fast on the long-term health benefits. I mean, you mentioned that early on. I mean, just it's just pure survival and longevity um, is something that we get when we sleep well. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And I want all of those things, <laughs> mood, positivity, <laughs> long-term health, all, all of those things, mental health. Okay. All right, cool. So for, uh, so the, I would say it seems like kind of what I'm getting from you guys is like the number one thing we need to, to think about is the piece that we have them a lot of control over is the piece on technology. And so we're going to be holding some limits. We're going to be holding some limits with empathy. Any, any final tips on like how to hold those limits when we're taking away the iPad and the, our child is freaking out and they say two more minutes, like one more minute, three more minutes. What do we do in those situations? Any tips for us in that place? Oh, that is, I know it's such a tricky one. I think, I think knowing that they're, that they will come through it. And if you really hold the limit and if you end up having to say, I'm so sorry, I don't want to do this, but I have to turn it off for you. It looks like you're showing me that you're not mm. able to do it yourself and um, doing it in a respectful way, but a really clear way. They, it will wash out of their system. It will within five, 10 minutes. You know, we all know that experience of then, then they're kind of despondent and, and restless and they're upset and then they'll, it washes away and then, and then they come back to us. So don't, don't give up. Don't worry about that, that process. All right. And, and I think what you said before, uh, consistency, right? Like, I think that's, um, that for me anyways, like, oh yeah, consistency that's that's needed in, in, in my world yeah. kindness well, empathy and yeah. consistency because if they feel like there's a just a just the tiniest iota of chance that you'll relent and give them more time they're going to keep fighting for it whereas if you are consistent they'll eventually you know let go more quickly and if if you you know we, we always say lead with empathy. Say, I know how much you don't want to do this right now. I know you're really into what you're doing. I totally get it. I have the same feeling when I'm on my devices. I get it. It's hard, but, and then, and then hold the limit. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so, so helpful, Julie and Heather. Thank you so, so very much. I really appreciate your time and your expertise in talking about this. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, Julie and Heather have two other books, The Happy Sleeper and Now Say This. Where can they find you? Where our website is thehappysleeper.com and on Instagram and social media, we're, we're at thehappysleeper.com. 
and Generation Sleepless, The Happy Sleeper. Those books are available everywhere. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. It couldn't be more timely for me personally, selfishly. I've really enjoyed this and needed this. I know that there are going to be positive ripple effects that come out from this for, for a lot of people. It, it's really important that we talk about this. So I really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. This for was really fun. Us. a powerful episode, right? I mean, this sleep issue is huge. We have to be part of the process, a part of the, you know, changing this. Ugh, it's so frustrating. My Maggie is in a school that starts super early, drives me bananas. Listen, if you loved this episode, if you got something out of this episode, please do share it with your friends. Take a screenshot. Share it on share it on your uh, you know your group chat with your friends. Share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. And I cannot wait to see what your takeaways are. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have some beautiful moments of. I hope you get some good sleep this week. My family and I are returning from an amazing, amazing visit. Have a friend on the Big Island of. Hawaii and we were able to visit there. It was so beautiful. What a what a magical place. So we ate so many fruits and swam. It was lovely. And yeah, now we're right now I'm kinda jet lagged. We're getting 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 home from it. That six hour time difference for us. So sleep is is close to home issue these days. But I hope you are also seeing beauty in your life and also getting working on getting the, as the, the sleep that you can get. And I, I also wish you, for all of us, for you and me, <laughs> to, to lean into what we can appreciate today, to try to see with fresh eyes, to lean into what we, the beauty in our lives and the joy. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Namaste. definitely do it it's really helpful it will change your relationship with your kids for the better it will help you communicate better and just I'd say communicate better as a person as a wife as a spouse it's been really a positive influence in our lives so definitely do it I'd say definitely do it it's so worth it the money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? 
Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com.